podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is the 26th of September. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to put the word out that we're back up. We're back up. Big Dunk is back in the game. The content returns. Big Duncan Ferguson appointed as the new manager of Inverness, Caledonian Thistle, the side who sit bottom of the Scottish Championship on a three-year contract. Now, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and predict that he does not see out that three-year contract. Duncan himself has said it's a great opportunity. When I spoke to the board, I got a great feeling about it. I jumped at it, really. 
a club statement said he was, and I quote, the standout candidate after an extensive recruitment process. The standout candidate. Imagine how bad the other candidates must have been. Who else went for this job? Was it Krusty the Clown? Was it serial killers or or people who kick cats? Who else applied for the job that Inverness Caledonian Thistle decided, you know what we need? Big Duncan Ferguson. He's the guy. In league play thus far this season, Inverness Caledonian Thistle have played six games. They've taken one point. They sit bottom, three points behind Granick Morton, five points from safety, and they've decided that Big Dunk is the guy. That is the Big Dunk, of course, with a managerial record of 23 games, two wins, six draws, and 15 defeats, an 8.7% win rate, Let's not forget his legendary time in charge of Forest Green Rovers. 18 games in charge, one win, 14 defeats, 5.56% win rate. Magnificent is what it is. Magnificent that Big Dunk is back in the game. How anybody could hire him after what he did at Forest Green is beyond me. That is an absolute shocker from Inverness Caledonian Thistle. But fear not, week by week, we will be keeping up with Inverness Caledonian Thistle's results. In the Inverness Cup, which I expect them to win, considering I have no idea who else plays in that competition, but the team they beat in the first round is a non-league team. They're in the North of Scotland Cup, formerly part of the Highland Football League. Uh, they they play Roths Football Club. I have no idea who they are. They play them on the 27th of September. They've already been knocked out of the League Cup. They didn't get beyond July in the League Cup. They've been knocked out of the Challenge Cup. They'll still be in the Scottish Cup. I doubt Big Dunk will be in charge by the time we get to that point. But his first game in charge will be this weekend. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Big Dunk is back. What a time to be alive. Uh, Initially, I was going to recap the weekend's games, but there's no real point. Everybody knows what happened. So we'll just do winners and losers. (laughs) Big Dunk, ladies and gentlemen. It's made the day. Made the day. Nothing else matters. Anything else that happens from here is merely arbitrary. Big Dunk is back and the comedy returns. So we'll do winners first. My first winner of the weekend is going to be Spurs. Because six games into and well, five games, but this is the sixth, into Ange Postacoglu's reign as Tottenham manager. They go to the Emirates to take on the reigning, we were top of the table for Christmas champions in Arsenal. 
and they outplay them. Now, Arsenal fans try and claim, well, we had the better chances, but that's not true because you had a lower XG. Your goals were an own goal on a shot that was going wide and a penalty that should not have been given. So what did you really create? Vicario had a couple of decent saves to make, but nothing where you thought, wow. David Rea, on the other hand, made a couple of wow saves and conceded two goals in open play. Spurs outplayed Arsenal in this game. They were the better team. They were better coached. They were better set up. And they carved open that Arsenal defence whenever they saw fit. Basuma and Sar dominated the midfield. Declan Rice went off at half time. Now, Arsenal claim he went off with a back injury. Now we're told the back injury is nothing serious. Of course, it's nothing serious because there's no back injury. He's fine. He was awful. He got hooked. He put Jorginho on. He wasn't good. And you're wishing Thomas Partey was fit. Couldn't possibly suggest that the £105 million man was taken off because his performance was so bad because James Madison was buzzing in behind him and Rice had no idea he was there for the entire 45 minutes. For Spurs to go there, to go behind to an own goal, roar back, get an equaliser, go behind to a very, very questionable penalty and then score an equaliser within 60 seconds. Outstanding from Tottenham. Outstanding. And they'll take huge confidence from that game because last season they went to the Emirates and they were pretty comfortably outplayed. This season they've gone there and they've just looked the better team. And this is game six of Postacoglu in the Premier League, game seven overall. But to already be playing as well as they are, to be looking as solid defensively, I thought Adoiji had a tough enough time against Bakayo Saka. Bakayo Saka is one of the five or six best players in the league. Everybody has a tough time against him. But Pedro Poro dealt pretty well with Gabriel Jesus. Romero and Van de Veen dealt pretty well with everything that came their way. Basuma and Sar won the midfield battle. And Arsenal couldn't really cope with Spurs front four. So I'm going to say Spurs are my first winner of the weekend. Second winner is Aston Villa. To go to Chelsea, and I know Chelsea are bad, but you've been poor away from home this season. To go there and get the win, I'm impressed. You were the better team. You fully deserved the win. If John McGinn was in any way useful, you probably would have won by a couple more. It's a really good win. Yuri Thielemans, by the way, learn how to pass the ball, please. He used to be really good at passing the ball. Just learn how to do that again. Uh, third winner has to be Newcastle. What a performance. Now, I get that Sheffield United are not very good. I do. I get that. But against the bigger teams this year, they have performed pretty well. Good against City, good against Spurs. At halftime, this game was 3-0, so it was over. Last season, Newcastle probably would have taken that 3-0 and just gone home with it. This season, they really put their foot on Sheffield United's throats. And there was a ruthless nature to this performance that really impressed me. Again, Sheffield United, defensively, they weren't good before this game. This was a shambles. 
Now, they have a bunch of injuries in defence, but there's no excuse for what we saw. No excuse at all for what we saw. How easy it was for Newcastle to play through them, considering especially they walked into this game playing a back five. Now, admittedly with wing backs, so a back three, but then a midfield six, the two wing backs and four central midfielders. So clearly they were aiming to frustrate Newcastle, to close them out, to try and make it really hard to play through them. And the tune just made them look awful, made them look absolutely awful. So Newcastle, anytime you win 8-0, you're going to be in our, our winners here. Uh, losers. Luton have to be the first one. I'm sorry. Wolves go down to 10 men on 39 minutes. You managed to go 1-0 down after that. Now, you came back and you got a draw. Questionable penalty. Very questionable penalty. You get a draw, but at the same time, you played against 10 men for the better part of an hour. You have to be winning that game at home. You have to be winning that game at home. And if they can't beat 10-man Wolves at home, it's really hard to see where they, they get points from moving forward. They go to Everton next. There's a possibility for points there. Then it's Burnley. And again, a possibility. Then you play Spurs. Then you go to Forest. Again, maybe you get something there. Then it's Villa, Liverpool, United. Unlikely to get anything there, especially the United game is away. Then Palace at home. Maybe you get something there. Then you go Brentford, Arsenal, Man City. That's really, really tough. Now, I don't think Derby's record is in danger here. I don't think Derby have any reason to believe that by the end of this Premier League season, they won't still be the worst team in Premier League history. If you've forgotten, let me remind you that their record that season, 38 games played, one win and 11 points. I don't think Luton have any possibility of that. But that Sunderland season, 05-06, 15 points. I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule that out. Three wins, six draws, 15 points. That kind of feels like what Luton look like right now. And they're not the only one. They're not the only one at all. But if you can't beat 10-man Wolves at home, you're going to have major problems in this division. Our next loser of the weekend, then, is going to be Brentford ungodly to lose 3-1 at home to that Everton team. You go 1-0 down, fair enough. You come back into it. You dominate the game for a good 40 minutes. And then somehow you lose 3-1 to a team who'd scored one goal in the previous five games. 
I, I don't understand. I don't understand at all. Sorry, they scored two goals in the previous five games. Both of them against Sheffield when Sheffield United. I don't understand how Brentford lost that game. I actually watched the first half of it and thought, Brentford will win this fairly comfortably. No, no. Letting everybody down by letting Everton win. Our third loser then has to be Sheffield United. And again, as with Luton, it's hard to see them getting a whole bunch of points. Like, up next, they go to West Ham. Don't see them getting anything there. They go to Fulham. Don't see them getting anything there. They play United at home. And as bad as United are, you still expect them to go and win there. Then it's away to Arsenal. Then Wolves. Then Brighton. Bournemouth at home. Maybe there's something there. Burnley away. Maybe there's something there. Then Liverpool. Then Brentford. Then Chelsea. Again, a team that could challenge Sunderland for the second worst record in Premier League history. And the longer you go without a win, the bigger the task of winning a game becomes. Now, we have four teams in the league right now without a win. We've got Luton, we've got Sheffield United, we've got Burnley, and we've got Bournemouth. The difference is Bournemouth have three draws. And Bournemouth are under a new manager, developing a new way of playing, and look pretty good. Like even at the weekend, in the 3-1 defeat to Brighton, they looked pretty good. And they've got a huge test themselves coming next with Arsenal. Then it's Everton, then Wolves, then Burnley. Everton, Wolves and Burnley, Bournemouth could beat all of them. Admittedly, they could lose to all of them. I find that unlikely. But I think they'll pick up a win in their next three, the next four games. I think they'll pick up a couple of wins in the next four games. And I think they're going to be fine because I think they're playing good football. I think they've got a solid foundation. They're still figuring out the exact personnel. They've had some injury issues. And I know all the clubs have had some injury issues. Sheffield United had a bunch of injuries at the weekend. But Sheffield United... Luton and Burnley. I mean, Burnley bought so many players at the, at the summer that I don't know if they know what their best 11 is. Luton bought a bunch of championship players and joined them to a squad that was already largely championship players and League One players. There's nobody in that Luton team that you'd look at and think, well, he'd start for another Premier League team. Like, Carlton Morris is their best player. I I don't think he starts for anybody else in the league. Maybe Wolves. Just because they're struggling up front at the moment. But Sasa Kalicic is a better player than him. So in all likelihood, there's no Burnley player. There's no Luton player that starts for anyone else. There's a bunch of Burnley players that start for other clubs including Luton and Sheffield United. Sheffield United have a couple of players that start for a bunch of other clubs. You know, Cameron Archer, Gustavo Hammer, 
Abel Hodzic, James McAtee, these players would start for other Premier League clubs. I don't see anyone at Luton that starts for anyone else in the league. Now, some people might disagree. Maybe Issa Kabore, the right back. You could make an argument on him. In fact, you could make a pretty strong argument on him. But, I mean, they don't own him for starters. So City could pull him back in January. We're going to do a bonus loser this weekend, and it has to be Chelsea. It has to be Chelsea. <clears throat> what a catastrophic start to the season. Five points from six games. One win, that was against Luton. Draws against Liverpool on the opening day, betting in a new team, trying to find their way. Bournemouth, betting in a new manager, a lot of new players, trying to find their way. Chelsea have not looked good this season. They had, what, 30, 40 minutes against Liverpool, where they looked good on the opening day. And aside from that, it's just been really, really poor from Chelsea. They just don't look like a team because they're not a team. They're a collection of individuals thrown together with no real plan in place for what each player was been bought for. They were awful against West Ham. They beat Luton, but didn't look good against Luton. Lost at home to Forest, drew away with Bournemouth, were lucky in that one, and lost at home to Villa. And when you look at the fixtures, the idea of Pochettino being gone before Christmas is not outrageous. Next two, away to Fulham, that'll be tough. That's a, a local derby. Fulham are decent. Fulham will be bang up for that game. Then away to Burnley. Now, that's a game they should win. And if they don't win that one, you might as well just sack them then and there. But then it's Arsenal home. Brentford home. Brentford with that pace up front could cause them problems. Although announced today, Kevin Shade needs abductor surgery. So he's going to be out for a prolonged period. But Wisa and Mbomo will cause them problems. Then it's away to Spurs. Home to City. Away to Newcastle. Home to Brighton. Away to United. Away to Everton, who will probably be desperate for points. And then that gets us to an easier run. Sheffield United at home, Wolves away, Palace home, Luton away. That gets us to New Year's. But is it wild to think that from Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, City, Toon, Brighton, United, Chelsea might take one point? So if they take seven points from their next nine games and have 12 points after 15 games, is is that going to keep Pochettino in a job? Because I have a hard time believing it will. As things stand, we're six games in and they're nine points off the top four. They're nine points off Arsenal, who sit fifth on goal difference behind Spurs. They've got a negative goal differential. They've only scored five goals. The only teams who've scored less than them are Luton and Burnley. Now, defensively, they've held up fairly well. And you've only got Liverpool and City, who've conceded less goals. 
But this reminds me of Everton last season. Remember when they didn't concede many goals in the early part of the season but couldn't score? Remember under Thomas Tuchel when Chelsea didn't concede a lot of goals but they couldn't score goals? Or Wolves under Bruno Lage? And the reason they couldn't score goals is because they were committing so much defensively. The reason they weren't conceding goals is because they were basically doing away with the idea of attacking in numbers. But if you can't score goals in this league, you're not going to get results. So let's say they beat, let's say they draw with Fulham and beat Burnley. There's four points. You'd have a tough time seeing them take anything against Arsenal. Maybe they get a point against Brentford. Spurs will beat them. City will beat them. Newcastle will beat them. I back Brighton to beat them. Then they go to Old Trafford. Like, that's such a tough run. It's very, very hard to see Pochettino turning this around during this run. But if he can get through it, then it opens up a little bit. Because even, even if we take in United, United aren't great. Chelsea could go there and get a result. They should beat Everton. They should beat Sheffield United. They should beat Wolves. They should beat Palace. They should beat Luton. So there would be a run of wins in a row, five wins in a row. Then it'd be Fulham at home. They should win that. Then they go to Anfield. You'd mark that down as a loss. But then they get Wolves at home and Palace away. That should be two more wins. So if they could get through this rough spell that's coming up, this really tough run of games, they could pick up a bunch of points through December and January. And maybe that writes the ship. Maybe they find the right blend. The one thing they should not do, but I know they're going to, and you know they're going to as well, they should not spend a penny in January. But you know they're going to. You know that Todd Bowley doesn't understand how this game works. And he just thinks if you parachute in more players, it's going to work. But it's not going to work. Because the more players you continue to add to this team, the more confusing it's going to get for everybody else. If you look at that team that played at the weekend, there's a lot of talent there. But it's not being used in the best manner. Now, Robert Sanchez made a couple of really good saves for the cameras and then let in a goal that no top-end goalkeeper should be letting in. Malo Gusto at right back, that's fair enough. Axel de Sassi, centre-back, fair enough. Thiago Silva shouldn't be in the team. Levi Colwell playing left-back, out of position. Yes, they're moving to a back three in possession, and Gusto's pushing on down the wing. But then what you're asking is you're asking Mudrik to play as a wing-back and to be responsible for getting back, which is limiting him. You've played Caicedo with Conor Gallagher as a double pivot. It's a very interesting approach. You're playing Enzo out of position as a 10. Raheem Sterling in a 4-2-3-1 needs to play on the left. In a 4-3-3, he needs to play on the right. But in 4-2-3-1, he needs to play on the left. Mudrik in 4-2-3-1 should probably play on the right. It would probably suit him. But, you know, I watched this game at the weekend. I watched it late Sunday night. And I was watching Mudrik in particular. And every time he got the ball, I was focused in on what he was doing. 
And there's flashes of what he could be. Played one gorgeous pass. Had a couple of decent runs. The talent is there. There's no question. He's lightning quick. He's great 1v1. He can pick a pass. His decision-making isn't the best, which is why playing him on the right would limit his decisions. He'd just beat his man and get the ball across. Simplify the game for him. His decision-making is questionable, and his final ball on the run isn't great, especially on his left foot. And he's not a good finisher. But again, final ball would improve on the right, where he'd be on his stronger foot. But I was watching him, and I was was thinking about Brighton and Mudrick in the Matoma role with an overlapping fullback to combine with. And I was thinking about Ian Matson as the left back and Mudrick as the left winger in the Brighton team. And what would they look like in Brighton's team? And I think they'd be devastating. Now, this is not to say that Poch should just start copying Deserby's style of play. This is merely to say... While Mudrick is not working at Chelsea, I don't think he should be written off as a busted flush. And if they get to a point in the next couple of months where they decide we're going to move on for him from him in the summer, I think there's a number of clubs that could come in and get him and turn him into a really, really special weapon. But that pace is so rare. There's a lot of really quick players. There's very few as fast as him. And I think if you could isolate him 1v1 against the fullback with some space and give him an overlapping fullback, so you're basically going 2v2 with the chasing midfielder coming back, I think him and Matson would have immense joy. Now, Matson sat on the bench and didn't get a run out of the weekend. Ben Chilwell and Mark Kukurea also on the bench, by the way. So 112 million plus Ian Matson of left-backs, while a centre-back played out of position. Uh, Poch, to me, looks like he's, he's struggling at the moment. He's making decisions that don't make a lot of sense. Like, f- another one, for example, playing Enzo as a 10, he just isn't a 10. If you want to put Enzo, Caicedo, and Gallagher in the team together, play Gallagher as the 10. But Cole Palmer's on the bench, a natural 10. Play him there. Or play Armando Broglie up front, play Jackson just off him, switch the wingers so that Mudrick plays right side with Gusto behind him, which would be really strong. Sterling and Chilwell down the left. That's a pairing we know works. We've seen it work for England and for... Chelsea at times last year. Move Caldwell into the middle next to the Sassi and play Caicedo and Enzo together as a pair. Now, I'm still not 100% sure that pairing is going to work because I do wonder if they just lack a little bit of first step burst. But they'd certainly be able to control games for you. And if you've got Caldwell at centre-back, he helps with the control because he's a good passer. And the Sassi is your athlete there. 
he's the one that can be that explosive last line of defense. But Chelsea cannot get through this playing this brand of football and trying to just defend their way to whatever it is their aim is. They've got to turn around and try and attack their way to it. And I know Armando Brogia does not have a particularly strong track record of goals at senior level. Similar to Nick, Nick, uh, Nicholas Jackson. I do just think if you played him up front, he gives you that target, man. He can play back to goal. He'll run the channels. And then Jackson can buzz around him, which is what he's best at. Jackson, as I said when they signed him, Jackson is more young men's son than he is Harry Kane. Brohe is more Kane, but he doesn't have the goal scoring yet. But he's only 22. He's just missed basically a full year with torn ACL. When he was on loan at Saints, he showed flashes of what he was capable of, scored nine goals. The year before on loan at Vitas Arnhem, he scored 11 goals. There's flashes of what he could do. And I'd just like to see him get some opportunities. Because what else is working? And as I say, the, the worst thing they could do in January is go out and spend more money. Like they bought a bunch of players in January that are just shifted out on loan. And I, I don't really understand the purpose of spending all that money. And Kunku coming back will be huge for them whenever that is, but that's a while away. But, you know, you, you signed Marrera, loaned him out. Signed Angelo Gabriel, loaned him out. Ogachuk, well, I don't really understand why you signed him to then go and sign Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia. De Sassi was signed as a panic because Fafana got injured. Robert Sanchez was signed because they wanted a goalkeeper and he was available. There's no way you scouted him and thought, that's the fella. Caicedo was obviously a long-term target. Romeo Lavia was signed because Joe Shields asked for him. Why has Joe Shields been allowed to make decisions? He signed David Washington. Going to give him a look and maybe you could play him as the nine. Because nothing else is working. Signed Dorde Petrovic because you decided to let Kepa go. And then you signed Cole Palmer on deadline day for God knows what reason. So much of what they did made no sense at all. And you look at the squad and it's huge. And there's a bunch of players out on loan. And you'd wonder what the point is of having some of these players at the club. But I think they're in trouble. I really do. That's a hell of a run they've got coming up. To go over it again, Fulham away, Burnley away, Arsenal home, Brentford home, Spurs away, City away, Newcastle away, Brighton away, sorry, Brighton home, United away, then Everton away. That gets us to the 9th of December. That gets us through 16 games a season. And really, there's only three games you'd look at there and think, Chelsea go into that game as favourite. Fulham, Burnley and Everton. 
Because even Brentford at home, you wouldn't back them. Like, they've lost two home games already this season from four played. And if Liverpool had played in that game the way they have in subsequent games, Liverpool would have beaten them comfortably. Their only win is against Luke. And like in the Cup, the League Cup, they scraped past AFC Wimbledon, who are a League Two team. In the next round of that competition, tomorrow night, they're at home to Brighton. Does anyone fancy them to win that game? Anyone at all? They've taken 49 points in the Todd Bowley era from 44 league games. 1.11 points per game. That equates to 42 points over a 38-game season. That's a total spend, right? If we factor in transfers, players loaned in, manager buyouts from other clubs, manager sackings from their own club, and we estimate age and fee signing bonuses and wages over the last 12 months, you're at about $1.4 billion of spend since Bowley took over. Which means for every point gained under Todd Bowley, they've spent about £28.5 million. £28.5 million for every point. That is outrageous. To put that into some context, that's about the cost of Mateo Kovacic. They're spending more than the Mateo Kovacic per point earned. Last season, they would end both domestic cups at the first hurdle. This year, obviously, they, they scraped past AFC Wimbledon. In 10 Champions League games last season, they only won five, drew one out of the quarterfinals. No one ever took them seriously, thought they had a chance of winning it or anything like that. If we look at the Abramovich era, right, this is year two for Bowley. Let's start in year two for Abramovich. At the beginning of that season, they went four full seasons and four games of the fifth season without losing a single home game. 80 games in total without losing a single home game. That total run was 86 home games without defeat because they didn't lose any of the last six in the league in 03-04. But they made Stamford Bridge a complete fortress under Mourinho. It took Mourinho 119 home games over two spells to lose two home games. And Poch has done it in four. And it's not Pochettino's fault because he doesn't have a team. It's his fault for taking the job. It's not his fault the results are so bad. It's his fault the football is so bad. But the results are on Bowley. But it's not Bowley who'll pay for it. We'll go to break when we come back. Bit of news. 
Loads of gossip. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So we do have some football tonight. We have eight games. No, sorry, seven games. Seven games in the EFL Cup. It is the round of 16. Tonight is probably the less exciting night, but it's a lot of lower league teams that you might not have gotten to see. So it's a good opportunity to to see some clubs maybe you're not familiar with. Uh, Salford versus Burnley. Exeter versus Luton. Ipswich versus Wolves, Mansfield versus Peterborough, Bradford versus Middlesbrough, Port Vale against Sutton United, and Manchester United against Crystal Palace. If I had to suggest a game, and I'm I'm loath to suggest to watch Wolves, but I do think watching Ipswich is worth your time because Kieran McKenna has them playing fantastic football. They're newly promoted to the championship and they're second in the championship only on goal difference behind Leicester. And obviously Leicester had just come down from the Premier League, had a fairly strong squad, did lose, obviously did lose a bunch of players, but retained quite a few good ones as well. And yet Ipswich have matched them toe-to-toe. And I think Kieran McKenna is, is going to be a Premier League manager very, very soon. Their only defeat in the league this year is to Leeds, a 4-3 at home, a mental game. A game they will feel disappointed not to have won. They went one up, then they conceded three quick goals, fought the way back into it, looked like they were going to get a draw, conceded a fourth, ended up pulling a very late goal back. But again, again, Leeds, Premier League team last year, so no real shame in losing to them. But they play a good brand of football. They're exciting to watch. And they might well just end up in the Premier League next season. So I think that's a game worth watching. Uh, the obvious one, obviously, is United versus Crystal Palace. But if you want to sit yourself through that, that's on you. Uh, we here at Two Footed Podcast take no responsibility for you subjecting yourselves to bad football. And you should probably speak to a doctor if you want to watch Man United against Crystal Palace. Uh, News. Austria-Vienna versus Red Bull Salzburg. A derby 18 years in the making. Karen Tejwani, former guest on this podcast, has written that piece for the BBC. And it is absolutely brilliant. He's obviously written a book about Red Bull and, you know, the, the Red Bull football enterprise in the past. That's a really good read. Have a go at that one when you get a chance. Um, Harvey Barnes set to be out for months rather than weeks with a substantial foot injury, says Eddie Howe. That's concerning. That is concerning. It's an injury to the part of the foot just below the toe. I would have said just above the toe. I, I would say just above the toe. Below the toe, there is no foot. The, the toe is the bottom part of the foot, Eddie. So think you're confused, but yeah, it sounds like it might be a break. Um, Andros Townsend says he broke down in tears after a free transfer move to Burnley collapsed over the summer. The former England winger had agreed trials after success, agreed terms after successful trial, 
but the Clarets withdrew their offer as they didn't want to stifle the development of some of their younger players, which I, I think is fairly solid logic. You know, I, I don't think you can really hit Burnley for that one. Now, would it have been good to have a more experienced player in the dressing room? I, I do think so. But uh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the right move is. Uh, Tanzan says he was in Turkey the whole of deadline day. An agent said, 100% I've got this deal. I waited the whole of deadline day and it didn't happen. That's been my month. So, yeah. Very, very unfortunate for Andros Tanzan. He's obviously had a long, long layoff after a torn ACL, which came at such a bad time because he was actually playing well. But he's 32 now and he's he's out of work. Now, look, he's made plenty of money, so he's not struggling. But obviously, he's in the last few years of his career and he wants to play football. I would imagine he'll absolutely get something. Somebody will come in for Andros Townsend. He's too good of a player not to be playing football. So whether that's, you know, in January or if someone can sign him as a free agent in the interim, I'm not really sure what the rule is. But someone will pick him up. He won't He won't spend the season out of football unless he chooses to. Uh, Spanish midfielder Etana Bonmati has said the team can now finally focus on football after weeks of controversy since their World Cup win. It's such a shame that Rubiala spoiled it for everybody because it's kind of been forgotten that Spain won the World Cup because of what he did and what how he acted afterwards and how others acted afterwards. Finally, he's gone. Took a lot of pressure. It's not over for him yet, but... Finally, the players can start to look forward to playing football again. And hopefully, hopefully they can get themselves back on track fairly quick. There's a really good piece on the BBC website written by Phil Dawkes uh, called The Lone Away Fan Who Led His Team to Glory. So do check that one out. It's uh, it's a very, very interesting read about a fan who was once the only away fan at a game to support his club. So do check that out. It's really, really good. On to the gossip. Spanish goalkeeper, who is David De Gea, who is a free agent, might retire if he does not receive an offer to become the number one at a major club. Well, I guess he's retiring then. Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo has been attempting to persuade De Gea to join him at Al-Nazir, but the Spaniard would prefer to stay in Europe, which is fair enough. Arsenal captain Martin Odegaard could have joined Tottenham as a teenager before being persuaded to join Real Madrid by Zinedine Zidane. This is from Saturday, so obviously this was trying to stoke the flames uh, ahead of the North London derby. Jesse Marsh is to train with Al-Etifak, and could join the Saudi Arabian club on a free transfer. So it looks like Andros Townsend maybe could also go there on a free at this point. 
it shouldn't be he shouldn't be stopped from doing that uh, by any by any rules. Uh, but Jesse Lingard in a team with Tamari Gray and Jordan Henderson, I mean they're going to finish fifth in in the Saudi Pro League this year. I'll let fact. Uh, Jurgen Klopp rejected the chance to become Germany manager before they turned Julian Nagelsmann. Barcelona believe Atletico Madrid will want seventy million to turn Joao Felix's loan into a permanent switch, while Manchester City will want about twenty-two million to do the same for Joao Cancelo. Barcelona have the money for neither. The agent of Moises Caicedo says he only wanted to join Chelsea in the summer. That's all well and good, but the person who has said this is not his agent. It's just not his agent. His agent is Manuel Sierra. Manuel Sierra made the decision on where Moises Caicedo went. Uh, the fellow who gave this interview is not his agent. Doesn't work for the same agency. Has no real involvement. So I'm not sure why he's speaking. Um, Matthias Delict is growing increasingly frustrated at his lack of first team football at Bayern Munich. We did play it the weekend and score. Weston McKenney's chances of a contract renewal at the club depend on whether he impresses Max Allegri. I think those chances have have sailed. Newcastle are keeping tabs on Southampton's Carlos Alcaraz. He's a really good player. Unless Saints come up, he's moving maybe in January, but definitely next summer. AC Milan's 15-year-old Italian forward, Francesco Camarda, has caught the eye of Man City and Borussia Dortmund for his goal-scoring feats at youth level. Dortmund would have the advantage that they can sign him when he's 16. City can't bring him over till he's 18. Tottenham are willing to listen to offers for Giovanni Lo Celso, even though he's been given a second chance by Ange Postacoglu, which is fair enough. And Manchester United are looking to tie Hannibal Mejbri to a new deal. That's funny because last summer, uh, last season, they'd have let him go for little or nothing. On to Sundays. Uh, Ivan Tony is ready to leave Brentford in January, and the club are willing to let him go if their 60 million valuation is met. I still think Spurs is the perfect move for him. Newcastle and Brazil midfielder Bruno Gomerich has agreed to a new contract extension. Uh, the, the deal is done. We're told he loves the club, but there's a buyout clause in the contract. So, 100 million-ish. Arsenal, Tottenham and West Ham are all monitoring the possibility of a loan for Usman Dembele. They're just not. And the possibility is zero. So, let's not even start that nonsense. Manchester United tried to part exchange several players, including Donny van de Beek and Fred, to offset the cost of signing Rasmus Heusland. Brilliant. Uh, Van de Beek has attracted interest from Villarreal after falling out of favour. Shame he wasn't available all summer. Um, Ange Postacoglu could be reunited, reunited with his former Celtic winger, Jota, with the Portuguese 24-year-old already looking to leave Al Itahad, who he joined in the summer. Uh, I, I believe they're willing to let him leave for nothing. Um... There's definitely something very weird has gone on there. And apparently the club are launching an investigation into the whole thing, which, I mean, there's no point in commenting on it. Everton will try to renegotiate the terms of Deli Ali's transfer from Tottenham 
with Spurs set to receive ten million when he receive when he surpasses twenty appearances for Everton. You got him for free. You knew the deal, so no. Everton could be forced to sell one of their one of their big name players. Do they have big name players? Pickford. I mean, Onana obviously has the most value, but they can't really sell Pickford because they don't have a replacement for him. Onana is the one I think they'll probably have to sell. West Ham are reportedly stepping up their search. Sorry, West Brom are reportedly stepping up their search for a new owner with Chinese businessman Gushun Lai, Gushun Lai looking to sell before the end of the year. Interesting. Chelsea and Bayern Munich remain interested in Aaron Ramsdale. The source of that, of course, is Aaron Ramsdale's agent. Uh, Manchester United, Liverpool and Arsenal are all ready to make bids for Aaron Hickey. Okay. England right back, Trent Alexander-Arnold, is fully committed to Jurgen Klopp's new Liverpool side and is close to signing a new deal. Brighton and Republic of Ireland frontman Evan Ferguson decided that staying with the Seagulls was better for his development uh, rather than moving to Manchester United. Um, There was no real bid, so it's just nonsense. Manchester City have set their target, set their sights rather, on 16-year-old Sunderland goalkeeper Matty Young. Real Madrid are obviously interested in Kylian Mbappe, and PSG are interested in Rodrigo as kind of a counterbalance. I think Real will be quite happy with that. They'd sign Mbappe on a free, sell Rodrigo for probably 70, 80 million to PSG and, and have the much better player. Rodrigo's a good player, but Mbappe is obviously considerably better. Uh, Real are also interested in signing Canada left back Alfonso Davies. Uh, it's from Jack Talbot. Jack Talbot is a bullshit artist. So we'll, we'll just put that one uh, in the bin for now. Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba were the Manchester United players who turned in the chance to captain the club under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, the fact that he was going to give either of them the armband suggests that he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. Um, why on earth would, would you give the captain's armband to either of them, especially Pogba? Whatever about Rashford. Monday. Manchester United are weighing up a move for Jan Oblak if they decide to show Andre Onana the exit door. Six games into the season, and this is the crap that some outlets are putting out. Everton and Manchester United are among the clubs monitoring the progress of Adam Wharton, talented young player. Liverpool would be willing to accept a big offer for Thiago Alcantara in January. Uh, some Arsenal players' positions could be under threat with 16-year-old English midfielders Ethan Nwanery and Miles Lewis Skelly set to break into the first team in the next two years. We heard all this with Charlie Patino. It's pretty clear they won't get opportunities. Um, Liverpool are... Still keen on Bruno Gamerish, even though he has agreed a new deal at St. James's Park. That's from the spoofer. It's nonsense. 
Manchester United cannot rule out Sheik bin Sheik Yassim bin uh, Hamed Al Thani making a sixth offer to buy the club from the Glazer. It's just such crap. Paul Heckenbottom's job at Sheffield United is safe despite his side being beaten 8 0. I wouldn't be so sure. Paris Saint Germain have not held any secret negotiations with Kylian Mbappe over his future. And no meetings are currently planned despite his contract expiring next year. Um, Ivory Coast defender Usman Diamande is happy at PS, uh, sorry, at Sporting Lisbon despite interest from Arsenal Man City. He's also been linked to PSG in the last couple of days. Uh, Arsenal say they will continue their pursuit of him. Uh, they didn't tell the Express that. So, you know, like when you see certain outlets and certain journalists like Charlie Gordon, for example, uh, saying they plan to do this and they're not going to do that. It's just, it's, it's such crap. Like you haven't a notion what they're going to do. You don't have any sources. Everton are set to revive their interest in Adnan Yanazai. Jesus, have we gone back six years? Uh, Fakao Tomori turned down a move to PSG in the summer. Aston Villa remain in talks with Ollie Watkins over a new deal. And finally, on to today's. Arsenal are set to step up their interest in Ivan Tony in January. Ah, yeah, should I? Arteta, the poor fellow, hasn't been backed at all, so you might as well just throw more money at it. Despite the fact that you've already got two number nines, one of whom cost you 50 million and is earning significant money, like 250 grand a week, the other of whom you gave a long term contract to and 100 grand a week a year ago. Despite the fact that you could have just kept following Balogun if you wanted a new number nine, but you sold him in the summer, it's going to go and throw a load more money at a player. That that seems like a good plan. Uh, Brentford are considering signing a striker even if they do not sell Tony. Jonas Wind, Vangelis Pavlidis and Marcus Leonardo are on their shortlist. I wouldn't believe that's the shortlist at all because it's 90minute.com and Graham Bailey is an enormous spoofer. Um... Mark Kukurea is hoping to leave Chelsea in January. Okay. Roma are keen to turn Romelu Lukaku's loan from Chelsea into a permanent deal and may offer Tammy Abraham in part exchange. We'll just, we'll flat out call that one bullshit because Tammy is worth considerably more than Romelu Lukaku. Real Madrid want Xabi Alonso to replace Carlo Ancelotti, who is set to leave at the end of the season to coach Brazil, I think that's one of the worst case kept one of the worst kept secrets around. Chief Executive Beppe Morata says Inter Milan will soon meet with the representatives of Federico De Marco to discuss a new contract. <coughs> Chelsea have secretly this is brilliant secretly parted company with Bruno Salter, who was part of Graham Potter's backroom staff, then was manager for a week. And was Mauricio Pochettino's number two. If it's a secret, if they've done it in secret, how does the Telegraph know? So clearly not a secret. Jaden Sancho's Manchester United teammates have urged the winger to apologise and end his dispute with Ericton Hack. Why should he apologise? He hasn't done anything wrong. So why should he apologise? Uh, West Ham have ended their interest in Jesse Lingard. Tottenham want 15 million euro or 13 million pounds to let Giovanni Lo Celso go in January. 
and the PFA have offered to step in to help Sancho and Ten Hag settle the differences. Ten Hag is the one at fault here. I don't understand why anyone wants to make out that the case is otherwise. And Sancho's not the only player he's treated poorly. Look at what he did to David De Gea. I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.